Welcome to Porsche Pattern with Bracken Helms, the show where we hear Bracken and his distinguished guests from the Porsche community patter on about Porsches and all things automotive. Porsche Patter is sponsored by Circuit 64. Circuit 64 creates authentic automotive apparel made for like-minded automotive enthusiasts. The links for Circuit 64 are in the show notes. Okay, let's get to it. Pete Stout Part 2. Okay, before we get into it, I just wanted to say that last week was Porsche week. So I was down at the Lit Show and Swap Meet down in Southern California. It was good to see everybody, old customers, old friends. It's always nice to get together. I was handing out flyers for this podcast. So I hope I got a few people listening because I just barely started this podcast like a week ago. Okay, part two. So again, this is part of that same interview. So the audio is before I had great audio equipment, but I've cleaned it up and I think it's good enough. Now, what Pete talks about in this one is I ask him about cars that have really stuck out to him. I mean, he's test drove and wrote articles about all these cars. So I asked him some that stuck out. So we get into that. We talk a little bit about air-cooled and water-cooled. And then I ask him about some of the cool cars that he's actually owned personally. Okay, here's part two. Okay, so where were we? I think you had a question of any regrets. Yeah. Uh, Let's circle back to that one. Let's note it and circle back to it. I have to think about it. Um, What did you do before Porsche stuff? Costco. I worked on a shipping dock at Costco. In your opinion, what is the most exciting car you have dealt with? You can name more than one. Well, there have been so many, but uh, the two that are the standouts are the Carrera GT. Uh, That car, I had one for a week here in Northern California. I didn't know it at the time, but it was the actual San Francisco auto show car. It had the plate number 0234. And uh, a co came in after the car show, after the same show. He brought his kids there and said, saw your girlfriend over the weekend, Pete. I said, what? And he said, Carrera GT. I said, oh, 234. You know, my father used to take me to San Francisco auto show. And I used to collect all the brochures as a little boy. And my dad came for lunch, and I took him out for a ride in the Carrera GT. I didn't know at the time that it would be the San Francisco Auto Show car. Showed up with all these extra books and the charger and the luggage and all this. It was very strange for a press car because it wasn't a press car. But I spent about 11, 1,200 miles on that thing in all conditions and drove it to the far north of California, out in the most desolate areas. And the noises it made, it's the best single road drive I've ever had in my life was up up on those roads in that car, uh, far, far north. And just everything inside the car was very slow movements, very quiet, you know, small steering movements. Uh, the shifter almost got moved without it seeming like it was being moved. Everything inside the car was these very measured movements. And then outside the car, outside the windows in my periphery, the tops off, the redwood trees were constantly shifting and the speed outside the car was, it was like being in the middle of a storm. It was this vortex. It was sort of, there's a storm all around the car because of the noises and the speed, but then inside the car it was all these very simple movements. I think anybody would have been comfortable if they'd been in the car. It was just this, they call it flow, I think, and it can happen in anything, whether you're a woodworker, or a writer, uh, a basketball player, surfer, you name it, a driver. We all have it. A CPA, whatever it is, if, if someone's good at what they're doing, or, or, or even if they're not and they're just having a good day of it, that's that space. And that car got me 
into that space better than anything before or since. And the Paradox there is one of the hardest cars to drive in terms of there's a big intimidation factor with the Courage GT. It took me two or 300 miles before the intimidation factor wore off. And I'm in the business of getting through the intimidation factor quickly. And you put me in a boxer or a turbo, like most people, I can go pretty quickly, pretty soon. Courage GT, big intimidation factor with that car. And rightly so. It's, it's the, the handling is not sorted in the way that some other cars handling is sorted. And, and it's a lot of power. And it's a pretty rudimentary traction control system. And most importantly, the tire technology just wasn't there yet for that car. But after 300 miles or so, I started to gel with the car. And then at about a thousand miles or 900 miles or so, when that part of the drive happened, it's in a perfect road, perfect time of day, no traffic, desolate place, incredible redwoods, incredible climb away from the ocean, perfect pavement. It was surreal. So that was probably the most exciting car alongside the other most exciting car. And that was the roof yellow bird, the real one, CTR 001 in me. Yeah. 50 some odd, 54, something like this production cars. But CTR 001 is the only one that should truly be called the Yellow Bird. Right. The other ones are CTRs. Yeah. And uh, Alias Roof left the Yellow Bird with me for two and a half months here in San yeah. Francisco. I saw it like you're driving around the city streets yeah. and people are just like, that's a wild yellow car. Yeah. I think people thought I was driving around a 912E with a V8 in the back. And, <laughs> you know, it was noisy, that thing. And I called a buddy up and said, hey, you aren't going to believe this. This thing sounds like an RSR. I said, no way, not possible. It's a turbo car. And I went and picked him up. He's actually the guy driving it in some of the Russian Hill photography for that article. And I pick him up. He looks at me and he's like, whoa. He's like, this thing sounds like an RSR. I was like, I told you it sounds like an RSR. And in a turbo car, but it had basically no muffler. That car was another shocker. Uh, the speed of it, that car was exciting to me because people say it's more fun to as it goes, slow car fast and a fast car slow. Right. And I've always said that's garbage. It's more fun to drive a fast car fast because, okay, yeah, the old cars made you work harder to go a certain speed, but the new cars, there's a mental challenge that comes with the pace going up. And, of course, you can only explore the limits of modern cars on a racetrack, but I would argue you shouldn't be exploring the limits of an old car on the street either. Exploring the limits on the street is stupid. But nonetheless... A 996 GT2 driven at a reasonable or reasonably sane pace is is a is a different mental exercise than driving a 356C at a reasonable mental pace. I don't know which one is safer or more dangerous. You can make various arguments for that, but to me, there's a there's a allure to the mental challenge that comes with the increased pace. And the Yellow Bird was fascinating to me because it was as fast. It had the pace of a 996 or 997 GT2, maybe faster, in fact. But it more or less handles like a 73 RS27. It basically, it basically is a 73 RS27 with 500 horsepower. That's more or less what the Yellowbird is. And the shocker wasn't worked. I figured that story would be kind of an expose that the car was famous for its performance, but basically it was the Corvette of Porsches. Basically it was incredible in terms of on paper performance, but, uh, not so great when you actually had to drive it. And the shocker was, it was great when you had to just drive it. It worked. The car had tiny tires, 205s in front and 255s in the back, 17s. The same size as a Boxster 2.5 with the optional 17s. But it had 500 horsepower instead of 200. And the sh and torsion bar suspension. And it worked. 
in a, in the rain, in the in the fog, you know, in the commute. It worked. The car worked. The power band is very unturbo for its era. It's the twin turbo really worked. You know, it really it really had great power throughout, and, and it revved high, and it made power down low for what it is, and it was very very linear for what it was compared to a 930 it's night and day 930 is on or it's off or on yeah uh the yellow bird really makes good power throughout but the shocker of it was i had a friend who was my follow car on a rainy day way up north and we got up there and it was wet we didn't plan on that it was fog it was wet because of heavy heavy fog in some places i said look just go ahead you got a wrx sti you got all-wheel drive you got abs i'm gonna be granny in this thing, because it's priceless, essentially. And he said, no, no, I'm going to be behind you. And I said, no, go, go ahead. I'll be long behind you. And he said, no, I'm staying behind you. And lo and behold, driven conservatively, the Yellowbird was quicker down that road than my friend, who's a pretty decent driver in an STI with all the advantages. All-wheel drive, ABS, our compound tires. The Yellowbird really worked. When something works, it works. And that's a magical car. And so its performance together with how magical it was, how it didn't counterintuitively, that car is actually a great driver's car, um, despite having far too much power for its tires and old technology suspension and essentially set up for straight line speed. That car worked. And so it was those two cars are the most exciting. But there are so many others. I mean, I, I, I don't even know where to stop, start and stop so many others have been memorable. Where do you stand with the whole air-cooled versus water-cooled debate? As with media, it's it's not an or for me. It's an and. Uh, the most fun I've had in Porsche ownership has been, and experience, has been when I've had one that was air-cooled and one that was water-cooled. The first time that happened with my 914, which I've kept, and my first Boxster, each made me appreciate parts of the other one more and also exhibited the downsides of each. But I really appreciate each one more because of the other one. Right now I've got an air cooled and a water cooled. To me, that's the way to, that's the way to do Porsche. If you can only have one, it gets trickier. Um, but if you can have two, and I would rather have two that are lesser Porsches that come from the old days and one from the new days. That's not so unattainable, you know. And I'd rather have a 914.4 and a and a and a base Boxster of whatever year, or a base Cayman of whatever year, than have one really expensive one. That's just me personally. That's the way I would rather experience Porsche, because there's excellence in both eras. And if you make me choose one, there's a short list that I have to go to. But I like the idea of two, you know, and they don't have to be. Headline Porsches. They don't have to be ultimate cars. I like having different different kind. Actually, I've got. I guess I've got three now because I made a terrible decision. Um, so I've got a third Porsche, but I bought it for five hundred dollars, and we'll see what happens. Um, I bought a nine twenty eight. So it's to be determined what happens with that. But I love those too. You know, so it's like right now. You know, a front and two mid-engine. I had a rear engine. I had a 911. I'd like to have another one again at some point. I, I'm just interested in what Porsches. If it has excellence, I'm interested. Okay. PDK or manual? All day long manual. 
I like PDK on the racetrack if I just want to go fast. I can understand why some people need PDK. I like PDK when I'm on the autocross, and I like it when I'm on the autobahn. It removes a function. It removes one area of concentration so I can concentrate elsewhere. In those extreme driving cases, and then I can understand why some people prefer it for traffic. But I tried living with PDK for two years. I ordered a came and asked for PDK purposely to see if I could be converted. And what I found was that car sat in the garage on a Saturday morning errand. I would take our 200-horsepower pig-nosed four-door GTI with a stick over a 320-horsepower mid-engine Porsche with PDK. I would choose to drive the the four-cylinder hatchback. And that told me that around town, when I can't go fast, it's just about the experience of driving. And at speed limits, let's say normal around town driving, you can still heel and toe. You can still interact with the machine. And PDK removed that. And I missed that. And so for me, I will always choose stick shift. I understand why other people do what they do. There's a variety of reasons. But for me, I prefer a manual transmission every time. I want the, I want the experience. So what cool cars have you owned? 73914. It's my first car. Uh, I really had a lot of fun with uh, Mercor XR4 Ti, which we often called the Xerati. I really enjoyed that car. It was my college car, so I could keep the 914. I had a couple of GTIs and a 911 SC and a Boxster, and um, now the GT4. I had a WRX for a while, which I really liked a great deal. The WRX is a really cool car. Uh, that was my first new car. Uh, oh, and then the Abarth. I'm a huge fan of the Abarth. I may have to buy another one of those because I just I enjoyed it so much. It, to me, is in some ways a modern day 356 because it's it's an economy car for sure. So it's, there are many reasons it's different than a 356, but it's got a friendly style. People react to it in a very positive way. And then in terms of size, it's what I sorely miss in modern cars. The size of the Fiat Abarth. I could go into San Francisco for a date my wife and we could park anywhere and when we came up to a stoplight or a crosswalk people smiled it made them smile which makes you smile and that's missing in a lot of today's cars so of all the cars i've owned the the little fiat abarth is one of my favorite and the you know the gt4 is an occasion every time i drive it and so is the 914 and so have my other porsches been uh but that little goofy car as a daily was just a ball. I mean, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but my brother had the M4, and my dad kept giving him crap about it. And then he, he sold that, and for his daily driver with the GT4, he has, so it must have been 2016, 15 GTI. Yeah. And he finally, like, came to my dad. I like my GTI better than my M4. I told you that thing, those cars are just becoming big pigs. I knew you would yeah. like your GTI better. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. We sold a GTI to get the, get the Abarth. And I had two GTIs in a row, Mark V, which was really a great car, and then Mark VI, which was better in some ways, but not in others. And once I drove the Abarth at 2,500 pounds with that little... That's all they weigh. Yeah, they only weigh 2,500 pounds. And they're... Let's see if we've got this right. I think they're five inches... I think they're five inches shorter than my 914. And they seat four people comfortably. You can actually put four real people in comfortably across town. They're a packaging masterpiece. 
And uh, you're really selling me on this because my wife loves Mini and she loves those Fiats, and I'm like, I don't know how reliable they oh, are. Oh, my wife, my wife was really into the the Fiat when it showed up here, and I had no interest. In it. Why would you get that and not a Mini? And then I drove an Abarth. All my three and nine and one friends said, "Oh, this thing's amazing." Started listening. Actually, I didn't drive it. Uh, a couple of friends who I have a huge amount of respect for, which is raving about it, to the point where I said, "All right, I'm going to do what everybody." I'm going to take some of my own medicine. I'm going to go buy a car without driving it. I'm just going to write a check. So I flew into Burbank, found one I wanted, flew into Burbank, and uh, wrote a check. Drove out. The first time I drove it was when I drove it off the lot. And I started laughing before I was even on the drive because it has no muffler. The car has no muffler at all. You know, part of why I did that was because you could get $7,000 off sticker without dickering. They, they just couldn't sell them. They, bought, they brought too many 2013s and stayed them all over the state laying around. And they were doing... $6,000 off and then another 1000 if you were a Conquest. That was a Conquest from a GTI. And so it was seven grand off stickers. So it was $17,000 and change. That made it about half the price of a loaded Mini Cooper S. And it's a better car. It's, it's worse. The Mini Cooper is objectively the better car, but the Abarth is much more fun. And weirdly, it feels when you're doing, going up the freeway, it feels like a Chrysler 300C. It feels like a kind of a big normal car when you're going up the freeway. But so you can go these tiny back roads and it's this tiny little thing. It falls apart after about six or seven tenths, seven, eight tenths. It starts kind of falling apart. Eight tenths and beyond it, it just falls apart. It's the suspension travels limited. Um, you know, you're pretty high up. It's there's different things and there's some things you can do to fix it. But man, from three to six or seven tenths, the car is a hoot. It sounds amazing. It parks anywhere. It makes people friendly and it feels premium in a weird way. It's cheap. It's a cheap Italian Econobox. And yet there's styling aspects that are very Ferrari. The flares, you look at the flare shape and you say, okay, that was designed by someone who knows what they're doing with shape. Unlike so many economy cars. Uh, and ours was Honda Reliable for two years that we had it. We put 17,000 miles on it or something, 19,000 miles on it. And we, it had a minor shifter issue. Um, it wasn't a big deal. It was really totally reliable. I would do another one of those. I really, I really dug it. I wish dearly that Porsche would make something in that size. I don't want them to make a Fiat Abarth. Porsche shouldn't be a Fiat yeah. Abarth. But right. that size, 2,500 pounds and short, Without so much power, that was a luxury all its own. You know, you could fit it places, you could park it places. And I got four deck chairs home that don't fold up. Four deck chairs with armrests from Ikea in that thing and with the hatch closed. So, you know, it's a marvel of space. Uh, yeah, I really dug it. That was one of the more exciting cars I've had, oddly enough. I'd say the top cars I've owned are probably, for me, the GT4 the Abarth and the 914, those are probably the three. I, I had a really nice 911 SC, but it had been lowered and it didn't handle right. And I knew to get it to handle the way I wanted it to handle was another five or $10,000. And I was getting married and I needed to buy a wedding ring. And so off the 911, I kept the 914, the 911 was sold. Well, that adds to the next question. Um, any of your what was regrets? the next question? What is your favorite of the ones you've owned? That's actually a good question to ask. Um, the 914. Okay. Because it's where my road to Porsche started. And if I had to sell one of my Porsches now, the 914 would be the last to go. It's just, a, it's for me, it's not a better car than the GT4. 
most people would take the GT4, just as most people would have taken the 911, kept the 911 when I sold that. But the 914 is part of my journey. How good a condition is it now? Like, have you done something since you you got it from your brother? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've painted it three times oh, okay. since high school. I painted it once in high school and then twice recently. It's five lug conversion. It's got a six cylinder oh, okay. conversion. It's a it's very subtly modified. Nothing on it looks like something Porsche wouldn't have done, but it's it's a hot rod. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, comment, like, and share with your friends. Feel free to send questions or suggestions to the email in the description of the show. Special thanks to our sponsor, Circuit 64. Goodbye for now. We hope we can get together again for our next episode. Now get out there and enjoy the cars and the people.